Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcalamo.com. All right, take your Bible, go to John chapter 18. This morning we are wrapping up the I Am series with, with what's kind of an, an obscure passage, particularly if we're talking about the I Am statements of Jesus, because there, there are seven of those, and we, we looked at those, and then I tacked one on last week, and then this morning we're tacking on an additional one. Um, but I think you'll see, the, you'll see the connection here in a minute, because we're going to talk about the power of these words in the life of Christ Jesus. And let me, let me talk just for a second about where we're heading the next two weeks. Um, so next Sunday, uh, I, w- I would really encourage you to be here and, and maybe bring somebody with you because we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to do a little bit of vision casting for the next three, five, seven, nine years, who, who knows. But, but for, the, for, the next, um, for the next bit, we're going to talk about where we are heading as a church and, and what that's going to look like, what, what we want to look like three years down the road. Uh, looking into the future and you know it's a good good place to start where do I want to be three years from now and and how do we work backwards from there to get there in in the Lord's power and in his help Um, and then the next Sunday uh, we're going to talk about evangelism I'm going to give you a tool to share the gospel and then and then here's the here's the really wild thing I'm actually going to challenge you to use that tool sometime the next week so I'm going to give you homework at church all right, that's how that's going to work. So I'm, I'm super, man, I'm excited about the next couple of weeks. And then um, after that, we'll be diving into uh, the book of 1 John. And we're going to have a great time this fall, as I've said. So, so this summer we looked at uh, I Am, we looked at who Christ is. And then this summer we're going to, or this fall, we're going to shift that. And we're going to look at because he is who he is. Then in 1 John, we're going to see who are we. That's going to be the question that we're asking um, throughout this fall and uh, into and that's going to take us up to Christmas so there you go Uh, so so if you haven't already started your shopping uh, Christmas is happening on December 25th this year so go ahead and put it on your calendar and and, you know don't don't let it surprise you right now I'm going to invite you to stand and and I've enjoyed doing this and I I think you have too from what I've heard so I am invite you to stand and read along with me John chapter 18 we're going to read verses 1 through 11 let's read the word of the Lord together it says, after Jesus had said these things, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met him there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, They stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. 
This was to fulfill the words that he had said, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to open up your word. And I pray this morning you would show us the power of these two words, I am. The power that they had in the life of Christ. And the power that they have for us when we place our faith and our trust in Christ Jesus and choose to be followers of Christ. Will you change our hearts, change our minds, change our actions and our attitudes where it's needed this morning? We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Man, thank you. You can have a seat. Um, I know sometimes, I mean, it almost feels like Catholic church, right? We're up, we're down, we're up, we're down. Um, but but I, just, I, I think it's important that as we read the scripture that, that we stand to, to honor the word of the Lord. And, and I just think there's power when we read it together as the body of Christ. Something that, that we hadn't always done, but um, I, I heard it somewhere and I thought, hey, that's kind of cool. And so we tried it and, and it, it seems to have worked well. So, so this morning we have really three things that we're going to look at uh, out of our text. And then one kind of overarching thing that kind of sums it all up. So this morning we turn to John chapter 18. which This, of course, as we just read, is the story of Jesus being betrayed by Judas Iscariot and being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we know that immediately after this, he's, he's taken into custody and he's beaten and he's taken to Pilate. And then to Herod, and then back to Pilate, and then and it goes it goes back and forth, and and finally Pilate washes his hands and says, um, "I'm I'm innocent of this man's blood. Do do with him what you will." And that's when they took him and crucified him. So this is these are hours then before the crucifixion. And the first thing that I want us to see here uh, about this scene in the garden is the first thing is that Christ presented himself. So they came looking for him in the garden. Verse, uh, verses 1 and 2, we're told that Judas led this, this group coming after Christ. He led a, there was a company of soldiers and some officials. Verse 4 is, is very interesting. Because it says that Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen, went out and said to them, Who is it that you're seeking? Now the other gospel writers fill us in on, on some details that John doesn't give us here. And it's fine. There, there's some details that just don't fit into the, to, to the narrative, to the story and the point that John's trying to make. But during this time, uh, Matthew 26 tells us that, that Jesus commands his disciples to pray. And then it says he goes on a little bit further and he takes Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who are James and John. And he tells them, uh, I'm deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Jesus is wanting company. As he's, as he's praying, he knows, as, as John clues us in, he knows everything that's about to happen to him. And, and he's deeply disturbed and deeply grieved about the things that are, that are about to happen. And so he takes his three best friends along with him and says, I want you guys to stay here and stay awake with me. Of course, he goes on to say that they don't. They, they end up dozing off. 
And Mark tells us that, uh, that at this time Jesus prays that, that prayer that we're familiar with. Father, if it's, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Where he surrenders himself to the Father. But he's, we see here in Christ his, his humanity coming out. I don't want to do this. If there is any other way, let it be possible. Nevertheless, not, not what I want, but Father, what you want. And then Luke tells us that, that Jesus is in such deep agony and such, uh, under such great stress that he actually begins to sweat drops of blood. So the other, the other gospel writers clue us in to a little bit there. But very quickly, look with me at verse 3. So we're told that Judas leads uh, a company of soldiers and some officials. Uh, the, the chief priests and the Pharisees are there. And look at how they come. They come with lanterns, with torches, and with weapons. Clearly, they're expecting a fight. So when I read this, uh, if you're familiar with Disney's Beauty and the Beast, either one, the, the live action or the, or the uh, animated one, the, the picture I got here was when, when, the people finally, when, the, when the village people finally come and storm the castle looking for the beast. And they've got their torches and pitchforks and swords there. They are ready for a fight. This is, the, this is the picture I get here. They're coming after Jesus, and they are looking for a fight. And then verse 5 tells us, Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, asks them, Who are you looking for? And they answer, Jesus of Nazareth. And look at Jesus' reply here. In light of all that we've looked at in this series, I am. Look at how Jesus responds. Who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I am he. The name of God that those two words are the words that condemn Jesus. The name of God, I am. Who are you looking for, Jesus? We're looking for Jesus, all right, I'm, I am. And we see something here. So, so this is not just him identifying himself. There's something supernatural that happens here because in, in verse six, it tells us this. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. So, so imagine this for just a second. These soldiers are here with their torches, with their swords, with their clubs, ready to arrest Jesus and probably all of his followers. And they say, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, I am he. And they're hit with something and they fall back. I don't think they even know what just hit them, honestly. But, but it becomes clear that something is different about Jesus. So these guys have probably arrested folks before. And I doubt anyone else, they have fallen down in, in awe when he speaks and when he identifies himself. What I'm saying here when I, when I say that Jesus presented himself is, is this. See, there's a theory out there that, that Jesus was, um, that he was a good teacher. And we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. You can go listen to that on our website where, where we've kind of pretty soundly, I think, laid to rest that argument. Well, he's just a good teacher and nothing else. But there's, a, there, there's a, a line of thought in some academic circles that says Jesus was this really, really solid moral teacher who really, truly believed that he was God. And he set in motion, in, in his own power, he tried to fulfill these prophecies of the Messiah. And what ended up happening is that he offended the Roman government and it was, he was crushed under the oppressive weight of the Roman Empire. 
To which I say, baloney. Because we see here that, that Jesus presents himself. We're looking for Jesus. All right, I'm him. And we're told that he knows everything that's about to happen. And then this goes right along with what the rest of the Bible tells us. And, and particularly in Acts chapter 2, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, he declares this. Though he, talking about Jesus, was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill them. So, so think about this for just a second, what he's saying. He's saying this was God's plan from before the foundation of the world that Christ would suffer and die in your place and in my place. And yet he also says, and he was delivered up by lawless men. So, so, so what's happening here? Is, is, is this God's plan? Yes. Are these men committing a wicked act by, by crucifying him? Yes. Do you see how these two things are not in contrast with one another? And he says, God raised them up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. This is the moment. This is leading up to the very time for which Christ left his throne in heaven and came to earth as a baby to pay for your sins and my sins on the cross, to take your place and my place, to suffer the punishment that we all deserved. When the time came, Christ said, I'm, I'm him. Now what we also see, starting in verse 6, is that Christ protected his followers. So in verses 6 through 9, they ask him, um, verse 7, they ask him again, who, or he asked them, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. In verse 8, he says, I told you I am he. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. Now, given the army, the, the mob of people that are coming after, it's, it's safe to assume that they're probably looking to arrest Jesus and his followers, because typically when you take the leader of a band, there's going to be some sort of uprising. And we see that in the fact that they have torches and lanterns and weapons, that they're expecting a fight. That they're expecting these 12 disciples, or 11, since Judas is with them, they're expecting these 11 guys in Jesus to put up a fight. Instead, Jesus just says, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. I'm him. Let these go. So do you see that already Christ is taking the place of his disciples who were set to be arrested and, and were probably set to suffer the same fate that Jesus is. And Jesus says, you have me, let them go. Now something else is happening. See, Jesus had made a promise earlier in uh, John, in John chapter 6, verse 39. This is what he says. This is the will of him who sent me. Look here. That I should lose none of those he has given me but should raise them up on the last day. So Jesus made this promise, this, we can call this a prophecy, that he, he promised his disciples that none of them would be lost, that none of them would be, would be arrested, would be killed with him. And he fulfills that here. Even though the, the authorities are looking to arrest the whole band of them, Jesus says, you have me, let them go. And He's the Son of God, the, the Almighty God. They have no choice but to, oh, okay, let him, let him go. And I love that we see here a shadow of what, what he's going to do for us in just a few hours after this, where he's going to take our place right now. He is taking his disciples. 
place. And then verses 10 and 11, we, we see this. We see that Christ prevented rebellion. So remember, the, the, the authorities are coming. They have torches and pitchforks and, and swords. They're, they're looking for a fight. And Peter very nearly gives them exactly what they're looking for. Verse 10 says, Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, apparently he was looking for a fight as well, drew it, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Of course it's Peter. Right? Of course he's got the sword. Because Peter is the impulsive one of the disciples. Now, but, but think just for a moment. If it were not for the sovereignty of God and for him having his hand in this whole situation, Peter could very well have wrecked everything right there. And instead... The other gospel writers tell us that, that Jesus heals this man's ear. He says, enough of this. Verse 11 here, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? Of course, the, the cup there is referring to uh, the, the punishment, the cross, taking our place for the sins. So what we see here is, is one of, we see that Christ is demonstrating what he taught in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Matthew 5, Jesus said this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And there's another thing happening here that's important for us. One of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5 is self-control. Have you learned yet that impulsiveness almost never leads to wise decisions? Peter impulsively, he's, he, he's, you know, he promised Jesus, don't, there's no way I'm going to desert you. I'm gonna, I, would, I would die for you. So maybe he thinks, I've got I've to live up to my promise. Take out a sword. And, and, and we see apparently he's a, he's a pretty bad aim with a sword because the assumption is that he was looking to cut off this guy's head and he misses and, and gets his ear instead. Um, and Peter very nearly gives the Roman authorities exactly what they're looking for. So, so here's, here's what I see a couple, couple of things happening here. Um, we live in a world that does not understand our faith. They don't understand how we believe in a God uh, that we cannot see, that we can't touch. The world doesn't understand why you, why you get up uh, earlier than, than you'd like to some Sunday mornings and come in and gather here together with other believers to, to sing some songs and, and to open up this book. And so can, can I tell you that, that we need to be prepared. We, we need to be prepared for some attacks on us because of our faith. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we, we're going to necessarily suffer um, death, although believers around the world are experiencing that as a reality today. I'm not saying that, that you, you're going to have to worry about being thrown in prison, although around the world believers are facing that very reality for their faith in Christ. But can I, can I tell you that you will get some very sideways glances? And, and, and you'll get some folks who think you're absolutely off your rocker for following Christ Jesus. And the Bible tells us this, and, and, and I believe it's First Peter, that we should always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that we have in Christ. Because if you're waiting to impulsively respond when someone begins to attack you, you are going to make the wrong choice. 
And hopefully nobody here is swinging a sword trying to cut somebody's head off when, when you get persecuted for your faith. But if you haven't already thought out your arguments, if you've not already thought out how you're going to defend your faith, how you're going to clearly articulate your faith in Christ, you will act impulsively. And, and impulsiveness almost never ends well. Because as much as we are being redeemed and being shaped and molded into the image of Christ, that sin nature still exists within us. And it rears its ugly head most of the time uh, when we are least prepared uh, to handle situations that, that we face. Christ knows what's about to happen. He knows that, that his hour has come. He knows that this is the time, this is, this is the very hour on which time itself is going to split in half. And forever, people will be marked by living before the cross or after the cross of Christ. This is the moment that the world's been aching for since that first bite of the fruit in the garden. There's one more thing I want us to see, and this kind of encompasses everything. We need to understand that in the garden, Christ prevailed. Now, from, from, from a casual observer, it doesn't look that way because he's, he's being arrested, he's being carried off, and, and he's going to be crucified in the next few hours. One of the most violent deaths that mankind has ever thought up. So how on earth can I say that Christ wins in the garden? I found this poem by, a, or this little, um, yeah, it's a little poem by uh, a guy named R. Kent Hughes, who's a pastor and, and theologian, wrote a, wrote a commentary on the book of John. And this is what he said, in, in Eden, Adam sinned. In Gethsemane, the Savior overcame sin. In Eden, Adam fell. In Gethsemane, Jesus conquered. In Eden, Adam hid himself. In Gethsemane, our Lord boldly presented himself. In Eden, the sword was drawn. In Gethsemane, it was sheathed. As I said earlier, Christ was not crushed under the oppressive weight of the Roman Empire. Instead, he gladly, willingly, Gave himself for your sake and for my sake. And even though it looks like he's been defeated here, we know the rest of the story. Because we have, we, we, we can see through the lens of the cross back across the prophets. And so when Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. As we look through the cross to 700 years before the birth of Christ, we can see this was not an impulsive decision by God. This was not some plan B, but this was God's plan before he created us. He knew we'd, he knew we'd turn away. And he knew that he would send his only son to save us. This leads Paul in the introduction to his letter to the Ephesians to cry out, 
Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. See, just as the serpent's deception of Eve did not catch God off guard and leave him standing around scratching his head and calling Michael and Gabriel together to figure out what they're going to do with with these humans. Neither did the cross catch God off guard. And it doesn't catch him off guard when you slip and fall either. Instead, if you are in Christ, we have this assurance that if you are in Christ, the end goal the, the place where we are headed is to be holy and blameless in him. So listen, we're going to stumble. We're going to fall. You're going to get tripped up by sin in this life. It's a reality because as much as we want, as much as we are being conformed in the image of Christ, that old man who lives inside of us still fights. And there are days when it seems like he's winning. But, oh, brothers and sisters, that when we fall, we might fall forward at the feet of Jesus. Resting in his grace. And so this morning, um, if, you've, if you're here and you'd say, I've never trusted in Christ's sacrifice on my cross. I've never repented of sin. I've never turned from sin and trusted in Christ. I pray that today would be the day. Maybe you're here and you've been a believer for a long time. You, you know that, that there came a time where you placed your faith and trust in Christ, where you turned from sin and trusted in Christ. And, and you would say, but my, my life has not been looking like that. And today I want to come back to the cross. Can I, can I tell you what the answer is? We were saved when we turned from sin and trusted in Christ. Do you know how we continue to live for him? We turn from sin and we trust in Christ. Every single day, every single moment, sometimes second by second, we turn from sin and we trust in Christ. Believing that if you are in Christ, you are on a path that is leading to holiness and godliness in his grace. Maybe you're here this morning and, 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 you, and you and your family are searching for a church to call home. I can assure you we are far from perfect, but, but we are a people who are passionately chasing after Christ. And when we stumble, we are, we are praying fervently that we stumble forward. Maybe you'd like to say, this is the church that I want to I make my home, and I want to follow Jesus alongside these folks. As imperfect and as messy as that is, this is the group of people I want to pursue Christ with. I'd love to visit with you and tell you about what, that's, what that looks like. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, man, I've been a follower of Christ for a while, but I've never uh, followed through in, in baptism. For us, baptism's not, there's no saving effect in the waters. We don't, we don't use holy water. We use the same Alamogordo tap water that you, that you shower with and hopefully don't drink. Um, and uh, uh, it's just a symbol. It's much like a wedding ring. If I, if, I, if I don't wear my wedding ring, that doesn't mean I'm not married. But rather, I, I wear it proudly because I'm 
well, well, for one, because I still can't believe that Michelle married me, and, and for two, because I'm, I'm proud to be married. It's the same with baptism. It's a way for us to declare to the world that we are followers of Christ, that, that we've laid down our old self, and we want to follow him as a new creation in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning and say, I want, I'm, I'm curious about what it means to be baptized. I'd love to visit with you. I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to stand and sing just a couple of verses. We're not going to drag this out a long time. However the Lord's leading you, however the Spirit's moving, you respond this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the great opportunity that it is to gather together with other believers to worship your name through song, to open up your word together. thank you so much for the sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. The one who is pierced because of our rebellion. Who is crushed because of our sins. And through his wounds, we are healed. Through his sacrifice, we are brought back into relationship with you, almighty God. So I pray this morning that for those in this room, maybe who have not yet crossed that line of faith, that have turned from sin and trusted in Christ, that today's the day. Today's the day that they hear you calling their name and ask Christ to be Savior and Lord of their life. For those in the room who, who have been believers for a while, but who just who've not been living like the, the faith that they profess, that today would be the day they come back and say, I want to... I want to follow Christ. I want to continue following Him. I want I need to turn from some sin in my life and continue to trust. I thank you for who you are, for the great love that you loved us with in sending Christ Jesus to die in our place so that we might be reconciled to you. Move in this room. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Alamogordo. We are located at 1100 Michigan Avenue in Alamogordo, New Mexico. If you'd like to contact us, please use the contact us form at www.fbcalamo.com to get in touch with us and let us know how we can pray for you or serve you. If you have a question for Pastor Kyle, you can contact him by email at kyle at fbcalamo.com. Thank you for listening. God bless you and have a good week.